stuff, right? It is. I like it, I like it, I like it. Something special. You may expect the pastor to say something like this or a minister to say something like this. But people especially as a minister, whenever you come into God's house and as you worship, it's, 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 maybe you feel it too, but you can feel the Spirit of God just flow. Just absolutely, it is consuming the church. And see, I get to worship then. See, most of the time the pastor's sitting there thinking about, okay, I want to make sure, Father, that what I'm sharing today is of your heart and we're constantly praying under our breaths and we're saying, Father, let me not speak, but Father, by your Holy Spirit, you speak. And then whenever you realize you've been so caught up in the worship that's been going on, and then it's time to get up and you're like, wait a minute, y'all can do another one or two if y'all really want to. I mean, good stuff. And the truth is, I, I understand in churches, uh, sometimes we get it skewed. We get it messed up. We think that one thing's more important than another. The truth is, it's not one thing is more important than the other. It's Jesus that is important. In other words, whenever we gather together in this house, it's not just the music. It's not just the preaching. It's not just anything. It's us as we have gathered in his name to honor and to worship him. Whenever your heart, whenever your craving is to love your God, to seek his face, people, God opens up the windows of heaven. And he comes among his people. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And so God is here today. Open your hearts with me for just a moment as we pray, and then we're going to dive into the word of God. We will be in Isaiah 53. Don't turn yet, but we'll be there in just a moment. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the grace and mercy of your love and heart through Jesus Christ, we pray that you would open the Word of God and that you would speak to us today and that we would learn from you. Father, may we be drawn. Father, may we be changed. May Jesus Christ be number one and God at the center of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Today, what we're going to be talking about, like I said, we're going to be in Isaiah 53, and we'll be looking through pretty much the whole chapter, Uh, depending on time constraints and things like that. We may look at some things more than others, but today we're going to be talking about the nature of God, and that sounds like a very simplistic title, you know, the nature of God. But let me say something to you. Whenever it comes to who God is, who God truly is, people, we miss it. We blow it a lot of the time. And if you look over history, that's the truth. You can look over the history of the church. You can look at denominations today, and you can see sometimes that we really make some mistakes. There are those that will talk about the holiness of God, and in essence, what they're doing is they talk about holiness and justice. And God, my friends, believe you this. God is holy. He is the most holy. He is holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The entire earth is filled with his glory. He is the totally uh, other than. He is God. He is greater than any conceivable thing that you can imagine. And he is holy and completely just. And that is true. But sometimes we concentrate so much on the wrath of God that we forget that God is also love and mercy and grace. 
We forget who he really is. You know, I think about uh, Jesus whenever he spoke to the scribes and the Pharisees. And it was not that what they were saying was all that bad. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that the scribes and Pharisees, they sat in Moses' seat. Therefore, be careful to do everything that they command you to do. But he said, don't do it after their manner because they say one thing and they do another. That is, they're two-faced. They turn around and tell you, well, you need to love God, you need to serve God, you need to be holy, you need to make sure you do A, B, C, and D, and don't forget about E, F, and G. But the fact is, they had no intention of doing A through anything. They talked a good game. Jesus said, these people draw close to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And Jesus even told him, he said, you tell people that they must tithe. And he even talked about spices. He talked about cumin and all these other things. He said, you tell them to tithe of the most exacting things, you know, talking about even of their spices they need to tithe. But he said, you have forgotten the weightier things, justice, mercy, the knowledge of God. He said, these you ought to have taught and not to let the other undone. But what happens is as human beings, we blow it. We really do. We get in our minds or we get a doctrine in our minds and and the enemy tries to push us in one way too far. And the fact is, is that God, and I'm going to make a statement. You're going to say, Pastor, that is kind of a, 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 just a basic statement. No, it's not just like what I'm going to explain about the nature of God. My friends, God is awesome in the truest definition of that word, all. He's awesome. You look at God and you see the way he moves and you see the way he loves his people and you see how he treats his people. And people, you can't figure him out. You can't put your finger on and say, God's going to do it this way or God's going to do it that way. God's going to do it his way. And whenever he does it, people, it will be the best way to transform hearts, to transform lives, and to bring people into a sincere, living, and loving relationship with him. That's what God does. You look at the Old Testament and people would say, well, you see a God of judgment. No, my friends, you see a God of mercy and love. Obviously, you forgot Genesis. It was God when humanity sinned who made clothes for them. It was God that gave them the ability to sacrifice. It was God that didn't just do away with us. It was God that loved us. In the beginning, it was God from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 that promised a Messiah. From the time we sin, God said, you know what? I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you. Now, will everybody be saved? Absolutely not. They won't be. Because they will not respond to the grace of God. God will offer his love as he does in this service today. God offers his love and grace and help to whosoever will. Turn to him, love him, repent, turn from our sins. If we will do that, he offers that same love and grace to everyone. But we have in our minds, this is how God is and this is who he is. And I'll tell you something else. I'm probably going down a road I shouldn't go here, but let's go anyway. It's a pretty rabbit, trust me. It's a lovely furry tail, and he just happened to hop right in front of me, so he goes over here. And so we're going to chase him for just a minute. That's okay with you. But let me say, oh, he's a lovely bunny, white bunny, everything. Okay, so... I will tell you this, one of the reasons that we have a skewed view of God 
and how he is and what he acts like is because of us. Because of because of sometimes how we have treated our children and the things we have done to them. Sometimes our children do not have a very good concept of father because they never had a father. They see God as wrathful and vengeful because the only thing that they've ever seen is somebody who's supposed to love them and care for them that has treated them cruelly or abused them in some way. You do realize that you and I being placed here upon this earth and given the gift of being able to have children that we were supposed to raise our children to know God, to love God, and to, I mean, to serve him. But the fact is, is they would get their image of who God was supposed to be from us. They're supposed to see him in us. They're supposed to experience him in us. Guess what? The world expects and experiences our Father through us. So many times what people think and believe about God is because of what they've seen and what they've been exposed to. But my friends, I'm telling you this, that God is greater and that he is more awesome than anything we could have ever dreamed or imagined. He is better than that. And so I ask you today, Please turn to Isaiah 53 if you're not there. Now, this is the famous chapter whenever you speak about God and you speak in particular about Christ Jesus' his Son. This is that scripture by which we see the suffering servant. It's that scripture by which we see the Messiah painted for us before he even comes into this world. And then we see it fulfilled precept upon precept, line upon line. We see this fulfilled in the person of Christ. So I ask you to walk through this with me. It'll be a little different message than what we normally have around here. But I want you to walk through this with me, and I want you to see something about the nature of God. We're going to talk about, yes, God being holy and just, but God also being, as he spoke before Moses himself, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, as he proclaimed his name before Moses as well. Scripture opens up, God bless the reading of his word. It says, who? Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Sounds like a simple opening, right? Very basic. You know what he's saying there? Who will believe what I am about to say? Who truly understands the heart of God? Who has believed, who understands what I am about to share with you? Because when you think about God, or rather when you think about his anointed in your minds, and especially for Israel, he would be this conquering king. He would come in, he would mightily deliver Israel from its enemies, and he would establish God's kingdom here upon the earth. And that is not what Isaiah saw. Who will believe what I'm about to tell you about God? Now, I will tell you this in Isaiah's mind. He may not have understood exactly who Jesus Christ was, but he did indeed see his anointed suffering servant. He saw what happened to him. But who would believe this? And to whom has God shown this? Verse 2, it says, for he, who's he talking about? The Messiah. That term means anointed one. 
If you go back into the Old Testament and you really want to know what's being said, the Bible says there is one that is going to come, one like a prophet of Moses, one that will sit upon the throne of David forever. He will be anointed by God, and of the increase of his kingdom there shall be no end. That's several scriptures pushed together. But this Messiah, this anointed one will come and it says, and he shall grow up before the Lord, grow before him, before the Lord as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. Do you think about that for a minute? What's it saying? A tender plant. It's not the military leader. It's not this gruff. It's not this, uh, I guess you'd say, militaristic leader that is going to come into the world. But yet he was gentle. He was tender. And yet he came. If you think about it, and I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but if you've ever been someplace dry, I mean really dry, and you see that clay and you see everything cracked around it, and then you see this one beautiful green shoot that is coming right up in the midst of it. That's what Isaiah saw. He saw something beautiful from dry, from broken, from decay. He sees this beautiful shoot that comes right up in the middle of it. You can't miss it. It's the only one. And he said, he will grow. I like it. I like it, brother. I do too. He says, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. And here's the one, people. If you go back in the Bible and you look at the kings of Israel and you see Saul whenever God first chose him, what does the scripture say about him? It says when you looked at him, you thought he was a king. He was more handsome than any man of that time. He was uh, head, head and shoulders taller than anybody else. When you looked at him, you said, surely this was a king. And yet when you look at Jesus, there was no form or comeliness or beauty or something extravagant, uh, extravagant about his appearance that when you saw him, you would desire him. You know what it means? He's just like you and me. He wasn't somebody that the world just ran after because he was gorgeous. He came just like you and me. Now, some of you are some handsome folks. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I don't want to be ugly or nothing like that. And you ladies got it going on because I know some of you sitting around, well, I got news for you. I'm not like you, okay? You may have some hair. I got you. But nonetheless, he was like you and me. The Bible says he has no form of comeliness that whenever we saw him, there was not this great beauty that we would run after him or desire him. So who was he? Who was he? Verse 3, it says, tell you who he is. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You know, whenever it says rejected, it means forsaken. He was despised, rejected, forsaken by men. Now, I want you to catch this for a minute. 
We don't always know who we're talking to. We don't always know the background of the people that we meet. Sometimes we'll meet people and they seem so very average. And those people could have been those that brought us vaccines, changed the world. Those people that have done deeds and sacrificed themselves to the point, like some of my family and some of my uh, friends that I knew from the police department, these people will carry shrapnel for the rest of their lives. These people gave the ultimate sacrifice because they were saved and they go right back in and they end up losing limbs. But you look at them and you say they're average. What if I were to tell you that God wrapped himself up in flesh and he came down to the earth and you're standing there looking at him, but you couldn't recognize him. You didn't really recognize who this person was. You know, I've often thought about Jesus, and I think about the man with leprosy. And he comes to Jesus. He didn't know that this was God. He just knew that this man was a man of God, that God was with him, that nobody spoke like this man. With authority, he spoke. People were healed. Demons were cast out. And the leper comes to him knowing he should never even get close to the people because he was going to be stoned to death. Either Jesus healed him or he died, one of the two. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I love that statement. I want you to think about it for a minute. Lord, if you wanted to, you can make me clean. Do you know in the Greek, there's there's kind of a strange interaction there. It's, It's kind of this. What do you mean, if I will? The idea is, he looks at him and he says, of course I will. And he reaches out his hand. All we could see is flesh and blood. But God reached out and he touched him. He said, of course I will. Be clean. That he would touch the unlovable. But yet, what does it say about him? We despised him. We rejected him. We didn't want to hear what he had to say. The people of the time. We would rather do our own thing. We want to live our own way. We want to go and do what we want to do. It goes back to Genesis. God doesn't want you to eat from the tree, for he knows in the day that you eat of it, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the point is, is to be like God, to be the own master of your own destiny. And we want to control this thing. We didn't want to bow the knee. And the Bible says, so he was despised and rejected of men. That he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And, you know, just echoing this, but think about it as it continues on. It says, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. In other words, you ever meet that person that whenever you see him coming, you're like, you kind of go in the other direction. You know, it's kind of like you walk down the hallway, you see him, and you're like, and close that door, you know, because I don't want to see those folks. Kind of how it was. They didn't want Jesus in their business. And what business was Jesus really into? I mean, I mean, think about that for a minute. Was it that Jesus went around just meddling in people's business? Jesus went around resurrecting the dead. And I'm not just talking about Lazarus. I'm talking about people who are dead in their sins. 
He went by liberating people from sin, from darkness, from bondage to sin. That's what Jesus did. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of Satan. Or the evil one is what it says. That's why he's here. He came to set the captive free. The Spirit of the Lord, as the Scripture said, as Jesus read it, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bring this message to those that are the have-nots, to preach deliverance to those who are in captivity, the recovery of the sight for those that are blind, to mend the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those who are bruised and oppressed, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. That's my ministry. And ultimately to give my life for you. But the Bible says that we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised. And we didn't give him the honor he deserved. We didn't esteem him. We didn't honor him for who he was supposed to be or who he really was. Verse 4, it says, but, think about it. Even though we didn't love him, desire him, go to him, rather ran from him, what does it say he did? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. That term sorrows means pains, by the way. Surely he has borne our griefs and he carried our sorrows. But what did we consider him? Even though he was loving us, even though he was carrying our burdens, even though his mission was that we might know the Father, know him in fullness, and that he might give his life his shed blood for the atonement of our sins. He did that. What do we think about him? We considered his affliction to be the judgment of God. We esteemed him smitten, stricken of God, and afflicted. Same thing that happened to Job whenever his friends came to him. Job, you're suffering because God's judgment abides upon you. If you had not sinned, you would not be going through this. I believe that's why Jesus pointed that out to everybody. Whenever they looked at Jesus, whenever the man was born blind, and Jesus, they said to him, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, or this man was born blind? And he looks at him and says, neither one. The idea in their minds is that you wouldn't suffer, you wouldn't have hardship, you wouldn't have these afflictions unless somebody had sinned, somebody had done something wrong. And Jesus says, neither. Who sinned? Neither. But why has this happened? That the works of God, that the glory of God might be revealed in him. Your afflictions, your problems that you have in life are there that God might reveal his glory in you. What you see is a plague may very well be in your life that which transforms, changes not only you, but the person that's watching what you're going through. I believe it was Paul that said, Lord, take it away. And he said, no, my grace 
is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. In your weakness, God's strong. All right. We esteem him stricken, smitten by God, that struck down by God and afflicted. But now here's something that's interesting. Here's something many times that our Bibles miss. You're really going to see this idea of Christ's suffering and his crucifixion right here. It says, but he was wounded for our transgression. You know what wounded means there? Pierced through. That's literally what it means, the word. He was pierced through. How do you get that? It's called crucifixion. He was wounded, pierced through for our transgressions. Here's another one. He was bruised. That means crushed for iniquities and that discipline, the chastisement, that wrath of God that was supposed to come to us, okay? Or the wrath of God that Jesus took away from us through his atoning death that we might have peace with God. The chastisement that brought us peace was put upon him. The judgment that was coming to us came to him that we might be forgiven. And you ready for this? And by his stripes, you know what stripes means there? Literally, literally. As a matter of fact, I will read it to you. It says, blows that cut in. You remember him being scourged? It's literally what it means. And by his stripes, every time that they were beating him, we are healed. Now I want you to begin thinking about this for a minute. Who is God? I said at the beginning the nature of God. What is his nature really? What kind of God, even though there is only one, but let's just speak in world terms here. What kind of God sends his son to die for humanity? What kind of God loves that much? That he would make a way for you and me who had sinned, who had blown it, who had transgressed. We who were sinking in sin, devouring ourselves. See, a lot of times we think about sin and everybody wants to say, well, because I did something bad, now the wrath of God abides upon me. What kind of God is it? Hold on a minute. I don't think you truly understand what sin is. Sin isn't you over there thinking a bad thought. Just, let me rephrase. It isn't just you over there thinking a bad thought. Sin is what we do to each other as well. And it is also that which is eating us alive and destroying our lives. You go out there. You know, I love the song. All my hope is in Jesus. You know, thank God my yesterday's gone. Well, think about your yesterday. Think about it for a minute. Think about what happened to you in your yesterday. Think about the things that have been in your life that all they were doing was they were robbing you of life and destroying you. You know, and the Bible says Jesus was the atonement for sin, or let me say this, that he was the propitiation. That's a big, fancy theological term right there. It basically has the idea of somebody dying in your place. I'm going to say something that might sound a little silly to you. You ever heard the phrase, you know, you got thrown under the bus? 
You ever heard of that one? Jesus jumped in front of the bus. That's what he did for you and me. He took all the blunt force. He took all the judgment that was coming. And he jumped in front of the bus. So when you think about God and all these thoughts come into your mind about what we've read, what we've seen, or all the words that are being spoken on the street, who really knows who God is? I take you back to the first verse. Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who has seen? Who truly understands the heart of God? Because God from the beginning was sacrificing his son for you and me. So once again, he was wounded, pierced through for our transgressions. He was bruised, crushed, that is, for our iniquities. And that discipline, the chastisement that brought us peace, was laid upon him because by those stripes that cut into him, we are healed. But here's something for you. Look at verse 6. But all we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him, caused, actually it says, or caused to land on him the iniquity of us all. In spite, in spite of our rejection. Do you not think that the Lord knew? Do you not think that the Lord knew our rejection? Obviously, he's saying it right here. Think about it. This is prophetic. This is God already telling us what was happening because God was out there twisting our arms, making us despise and reject him. No, he knew what was going to happen. God knows what is in the heart of man. Now, let me tell you something. Am I saying that all men are, uh, I'm not speaking theologically. Theologically, yes, we're all fallen, broken, wretched, and all those kind of other things. But I want you to think about this. But yet do we, in essence, albeit perverted and wrong, you know, we've messed it up. We still bear the image of God upon us. Am I saying that all human beings are wicked and horrible and those kind of things? I'm talking about from a practical standpoint. No, you, we do some really good things in this world. Okay? But what I am saying is this. In our hearts, who we are deep down, what is broken, what is messed up, what the enemy has so perverted and devoured and robbed us of and taken away. Jesus came to heal that. He came to deliver us from that. What Jesus did is he looks beyond. God looks beyond what the enemy has done to you. I'm not going to ask you to lift up your hands, but I want you to think about this. Have you ever felt unloved? Have you ever felt because of the things that have happened to you in life, the things you have done, the things you've engaged in? I don't know what it is, but have you ever felt in your life that you were unlovable? Or have you ever looked at God or at anyone else and you wondered, how did I get in this position? How far have I fallen? How will I ever be or how could I ever be? Have you ever been ashamed? Have you ever looked around and said, I wish I could go back and I could change that? I would have never done that before. Why did I ever allow myself to get entangled? You know, Jesus knows who you are. He knows who you are. 
He knows deep down where nobody else sees. The things that you won't even tell your spouse. Ooh, that's getting ugly, isn't it? No, it's true. The things you won't even reveal, reveal about yourself. He knows who you are. And he sees beyond that. You see, as much as you might love your children, God loves you so much more. And he sees deep down in there where it's broken, where it's ugly, where it's perverse, where it's corrupted. He looks down even into that. And he still loves you. Now, I want to be careful how I say this because evidently if you watch the internet for every five seconds, they'll take a two-second clip from a pastor and they'll nail that fellow to a wall. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I've gone back and watched the message, the actual message. And I'm like, that isn't what the pastor said at all. Okay? But let me tell you this. Am I saying that God's love's sick and that he's up in heaven and he's woe is me if these people don't love me? No. No, he's not. God is holy and he's sufficient in and of himself. Does he love you in a way you cannot imagine? But is he up there saying, if you don't bend your knee and you don't love me, I'm just not going to make it? No. He's not a lovesick puppy. The fact is, is that God looks at you and he says, I will take you out of that garbage. I will heal you of your past. I will take scars that Satan intended to be there for eternity. And I will take them away from you if you will come to me, bow down before me, Christ Jesus, not me, because bowing before me in 50 cents won't even get you a cup of coffee. But anyway, my point is this. If you will bow before me and yield to me, I will heal your sins. I will make you a new creation. I will lift you out of this and I will give you life. That's who God is. And I want another thing to show you here before we continue on. The whole reason we have this scripture is because God is just. Why do you think these things are happening to Jesus? Because of sin. He is judging his son in our place. Because God will not turn a blind eye to sin. He won't. And what he does is he looks at Jesus and he says, I will judge you in their place so that whosoever will come to you and ask you for mercy, their sins are paid for. I'll give them mercy. I'll lift them up. I'll do this for them. So our sins, people, are laid upon Christ. That's why he's bruised. That's why he's pierced through. That's why those lashes cut into him. That's how we're healed. Okay, moving on real quick because I've got to finish. Wait a minute, I can't see the clock up there. Just kidding, I can. Okay. So anyway... It says, all we like sheep, even knowing what Christ did, we turned our own way. We've gone astray. And the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. But listen to this. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, but he didn't open his mouth. How'd you like that? He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is silent. He didn't open his mouth. You remember Jesus before Pilate? 
Do you know why he kept his silence? People say, well, they wouldn't have listened to him anyway. No, the Bible says that he had put his... Now, yes, that may be true, but I want you to think about this. He had entrusted his life into his father's hands. That's why he said, Father, glorify your name. Go ahead. Behold, it is written of me in the scroll of the book, I have come to do your will, O Lord. And there he is, standing before Pilate. There he is with his... Uh, kingly, I guess you'd say robe thrown over him and the crown of thorns upon his head. Do you not know, Jesus? Pilate said, I have the power to crucify you or to set you free. Jesus looked at him and said, you would have no authority at all over me unless my father had given it to you. Pilate wasn't in control. God was. It was for you and me that he didn't open his mouth. It was for you and me that he entrusted himself into the Father's hands. It was for you and me upon that cross as we we mocked him and we did those things. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Bible says he was taken from his confinement, his prison, and from judgment. He didn't have his proper judgment or his day in court. It was a mockery. The Bible says, who will declare his generation? In other words, where are his descendants? He was killed. He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And the Bible says they made his grave with the wicked. But, you know, the idea here is that Jesus, whenever he died, he was condemned as a criminal, but then with the rich in his death, he was laid in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. But anyway, I want to go on, it says here, because there was no violence found in his mouth, there was no deceit in his mouth, not ever, and especially not whenever he was upon the cross. But catch these last words, and I'll stop here. It says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to crush him. He has put him to grief. And he's made his soul an offering for sin. I want to be careful how I say this. Was the father overjoyed when his son suffered? No. No more than he smiles and he rejoices when you and I suffer. No. But why does it say it pleased the Lord to crush him? It pleased the Lord to make him a sacrifice for our sins. Because going back to what we said at the beginning, the Father loves you. The Father wants you. The Father wants you to be with him, to serve him. He wouldn't have sent Jesus if if, if that weren't the case. But he crushed him so that there would be a way for us to be forgiven. That's why the Bible says about Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. That didn't mean he enjoyed it, he liked it, but it said for the joy that was to come, the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured that for you and me. Jesus, one day, crowned King of kings and Lord of lords, as he sits upon the throne of his glory and he judges the nations, all of you who love him, all of you who belong to him, he will one day have the distinct privilege of turning around and say, Father, these are your children. You. 
You may look at your spouse and say, he's not talking to you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I got to stop. As the worship team's coming, let me close this up. What's the nature of God? God is holy. God is just. God is also merciful, gracious. He is there. He loves you. He cares about you. But He expects us, He expects us to love and serve Him as God. Today, this is what I would say to you. What do you think about your Lord? Who is He to you? I couldn't ask that at the beginning. It would have taken too long. But I want you to think about it now. Who is he to you? Is he what the scripture, what we just read, is that who he is to you? If he is, then he is so deserving of love, honor, worship, the exaltation of him. May your life every single day be a prayer and a hymn and song of worship to him. But maybe today... God's dealing with your heart. Maybe you say, I haven't thought about it that way. Or maybe I haven't recognized what he did for me. Or how loving or how holy God really is. Today you might need special prayer. In just a moment they're going to be singing. You don't need a special invitation to come forward at that moment. I'm going to extend it to you now. When they're saying, step out from where you are. I'd love to pray with you. If you feel God leading you to the altar, don't stay where you are. Don't worry about other people think. If it's between me and Jesus, I care what else anybody else thinks. I mean, last time I checked, he's the one that really matters, right? All right. So, today if you need special prayer, you can come out here. I'll pray with me. Maybe you want to pray by yourself. There's room to my right. There's room to my left. You can stand, kneel. You can sit on the front row. It doesn't matter. It's between you and Jesus anyway. Today, if you do not know Jesus, or maybe you're struggling in your relationship, Maybe you've been hurt in the past. Maybe somebody's let you down. That's another problem within the church. But if God's dealing with you, please, please, please respond to him. Don't walk out of here without him. Please stand. Respond as God speaks to you. Don't think about it. Without him, I could do nothing without him I'd surely fail without him I would be drifting like ship without sail Jesus, oh Jesus, do you know him today? You can turn him away, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, without Without him, I would be dying.
Without him, I'd be enslaved. Without him, my life would be hopeless. But with Jesus, thank God, I'm saved. special prayer in just a moment. Um, so you, deacons, you can come this way and we're going to be praying for Mr. Ron. But I want to tell you something. As I call him, Evan the man over here. I love him. I love him. I love him. And uh, I miss him. I don't get to see him as much. So every once in a while at school, he'll shoot a spitball or something at me. But anyway, Evan comes up here today and I know that Evan knows the Lord, but he said, you know what? I want to re-surrender my life to Jesus. I want my heart and life to belong to him. I see God working among our young people in powerful ways, people. And if God's working among our young people, woo, that's revival happening. It is. And you know what? You stay up here and pray with us, okay? Because you, you're my man. You're my man. So uh, we're going to pray uh, as his lovely bride's going to be standing in for him. We're going to be praying for Mr. Ron. He's going to be having his endoscopy procedure. And so there's a lot going on. And we know that uh, sometimes his health isn't as good as other times. So we want to pray. We're going to lift him up. And so I'm going to have you come up here with us. Oh, you're going to get prayer too? I'm sorry. What? Oh, yeah, that's right. Nancy Blacklock had asked if uh, Miss Beverly or Miss Peggy could sit in for her. She is weak, weak, weak people. And she is asking for prayer. So we're going to do that. So I tell you what, we'll start out over here and then we'll come over. According to the word of God. For both of you, the Bible says, if there is any sick among you, to let them call for the elders of the church and to anoint them with oil and to pray the prayer of faith. And the Bible says that if they have committed any sins, they will be forgiven. And the Bible says that the prayer of faith will lift up and to heal the sick. So I anoint you, my sister, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I'm also going to pray for Miss Blacklock and I'm going to anoint you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And let our hands be laid upon them. Come on over. And let's pray. Father, 
In the name of Jesus, I lay my hands as we lay our hands upon these both. And we ask you in the name of Jesus, Father, that you would be with him. Father, we pray for Brother Ron, that you would touch him. And God, that you would help him, that you would breathe into him the breath of life, that you would give the doctors wisdom. And Father, that everything that will be done will be done for his healing. Please heal him, help him, and bless him, Father. Lift him up and give him grace in Jesus' name. And Father, we also pray for Miss Nancy Blacklock. We ask you, Father, to be with her, to bless her today right where she is, that you would just fill her. And Brother Ron, too, to fill them with the Holy Spirit and with your grace. Heal them and bless them today. Keep them, lift them up, and show them your mercy and kindness. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen Amen. and amen. Praise the Lord. All right, I have, ooh, I got a hand on me. Will you pray for my baby? And also, we want to join the church. Y'all want to join the church? Wait a minute. We got a problem here. Hold on. We're going to have to call some things. We're going to pray for your baby, too. Come on. Oh, guys, don't leave yet. Evidently, we got some baby praying. I'm just kidding. How, how, he can call you his baby. That's all right. They can, they can do that. But, uh, guys, if you will, don't leave yet. Y'all are walking away. I need you down here. Come on. We're going to pray for his baby. And, uh, Anyway, we're going to lift him up and we're going to pray for him. And then we're going to have a quick vote. I'm worried about that vote, brother. I really am. (laughs) Brother, I tell you what, if you'll turn around here and look at me, I anoint you, my brother, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Father, right now, we lift up Aaron. Father God, he's been through a lot here lately. And Father, I know that he needs your touch and grace always, just like his family. Father, bless him today. We lay our hands upon him, and we also set him apart. Bless him. Heal him. Strengthen him. Make him a light, Father, to all those that he comes in contact with. May your Holy Spirit rest upon him and keep him. Lift him up, Father. Show him your loving kindness. Keep him in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Now, y'all turn around and face church. I'm sorry about this one. Don't be touched. I just ask y'all not to be too cruel. All right. All in favor. Boy, I can't believe I'm asking this question. All in favor of receiving these people into membership. (laughs) People. I couldn't even say it. Keep it straight away. Okay of receiving the coals into our family and loving them and praying for them as we should. All in favor of that, would you please lift your hand and say amen? Amen. Any opposed? Praise the Lord. Y'all are in. Okay. Y'all come, y'all come by and slide Aaron in the 20 spot, okay? The Lord bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>